0: Hello, I'm Jeannie Poole and I'm the editor in chief of the Heart Rhythm O2 Journal. Welcome to this podcast of the August issue. The first original article is by Arun Sridhar and colleagues from the University of Washington, Seattle, Washington. The title of this paper is QT Interval and Arrhythmic Safety of Hydroxychloroquine Monotherapy in Coronavirus Disease 2019. This study explored the safety of therapy with hydroxychloroquine in a group of hospitalized patients. An ECG monitoring strategy was developed to measure the QT intervals. All other QT prolonging medications were discontinued. The criteria for QT intervals that would preclude starting the medication or once taking it for discontinuation was pre-specified. A baseline 12-lead ECG was obtained and a second ECG was obtained after the second dose. All patients remained in the hospital and had the availability for further monitoring with ECGs or telemetry. 75 patients were enrolled with paired ECGs. investigators found that this approach identified a low risk of significant QT prolongation, defined as greater than 500 milliseconds or a delta of greater than 50 milliseconds. Seven patients, or 5%, had a significant increase in the QTC and three of these had had a baseline prolonged QTC. However, all 75 patients continued their full therapy course of the hydroxychloroquine. No patients had an arrhythmic death. There was no instance of sustained VT, VF, or torsade, or significant AV block. PVCs were seen in 7%, AT or AF in 9%, and one critically ill patient had sinus bradycardia. While hydroxychloroquine thus far has not been shown to be effective in COVID-19 patients, nevertheless it is a medication widely used in rheumatologic disorders and as a malaria prophylactic. The authors conclude that with appropriate screening and monitoring, hydroxychloroquine can be prescribed safely. The next article is entitled, Risk of Atrial Esophageal Fistula with Cryo Balloon Ablation of Atrial Fibrillation by Dr. Puccini and colleagues from multiple hospital systems. This is an important paper and is summarized in a narrated PowerPoint by Dr. Nazem Akum, which accompanies this paper. The authors use the Medtronic Adverse Events database to search for occurrences of atrial esophageal fistula in procedures which use the Medtronic family of Arctic front Cryo Balloon catheters. Over 9.75 years, Five hundred and five thousand six hundred and eighty-three cryo balloon catheters were used. Eighteen cases of atrial esophageal fistula were confirmed. One further case was suspected, and one additional case was reported as an esophageal pericardial fistula. Based upon these twenty cases, the global incidence reported is 0.004% or one atrial esophageal fistula in every 25,000 patients. In 11 of the 20 patients who had the location of the AE fistula noted, they all occurred within the area of the left pulmonary veins. The mean number of freeze applications was 10 and freeze time was 233 seconds. The nadir temperature was negative 60 degrees Celsius. The most common symptoms were fever in 88%, chest pain in 41%, and neurologic or stroke in 41%. Only 17% of the patients complained of dysplasia. The primary finding in this report is that the overall risk of AE fistula, as reported in the Medtronic database associated with the cryo balloon catheters, is very low. However, the mortality rate is very high. The next paper is entitled catheter ablation of atrial fibrillation in patients with diabetes mellitus by wang and colleagues from duke university this was an observational retrospective cohort study in 351 consecutive patients who received first-time catheter ablation between 2014 and 2016. patients were stratified based on the presence or absence of diabetes Arrhythmia recurrence was defined as any atrial tachyarrhythmia captured by any rhythm recording device including implantables lasting equal to or greater than 30 seconds after a three month blanking period. Symptoms were assessed by MAFC scores. All patients had PBI. Additional lesions were at the discretion of the physician that was managing the patient. Overall, 18.6 percent of the patients had diabetes, patients with diabetes were significantly older, had a higher median body mass index, had more persistent atrial fibrillation, a higher chads vasc score, and greater prevalence overall of comorbidities. Ablation procedural times did not differ between the two groups, nor the likelihood of additional ablation lesions and there was no difference in antiarrhythmic drug treatment. The primary finding was that after a median follow-up of 29.5 months, patients with diabetes had a significantly higher rate of AF recurrence than patients without diabetes, 56.9% versus 33.9%. There was no significant difference in AF symptoms between the two groups, 32.3%, versus 29%. Anti-rhythmic drug use was significantly higher in the diabetes group, 44.6% versus 25.9%. But the frequency of repeat ablations did not differ between the two groups. Adverse events also were not different. Symptoms were reduced in both groups. It was noted, however, that diabetic patients with poor glycemic control, had worse outcomes. The authors conclude that safety outcomes associated with AF ablation were similar between patients with and without diabetes. However, arrhythmia-free survival was significantly lower amongst diabetic patients. Poor glycemic control may be a significant important risk factor for atrial fibrillation recurrence in diabetic patients. The next paper is by Hasibi and colleagues from Shizoku, Japan. The title of this paper is Decreased Anxiety After Catheter Ablation for Paroxysmal Atrial Fibrillation is Associated with Augmented Parasympathetic Reactivity to Stress. This is a study of 35 consecutive patients with paroxysmal atrial fibrillation who were referred for initial catheter ablation. The authors performed a series of tests for the purpose of comparing measurements of autonomic activity and psychological stress before and at one and three months after ablation. The tests included heart rate variability using the MEM-Calc system, skin conductance, the State Trait Anxiety Inventory Survey and a self-rating depression scale, and finally, a random number generation task It was a test to evaluate response to a stressful situation. Based upon the outcomes of these tests, the authors concluded that some augmentation of parasympathetic reactivity to stress was associated with reduced anxiety following catheter ablation and suggested that cardiac autonomic modification may play a role in the observed psychological improvement after catheter ablation for patients with atrial fibrillation. The next paper is called Repolarization Predictors of Fetal Long QT Syndrome by Strand and colleagues from the Children's Hospital of the Medical College of Wisconsin. This study sought to characterize repolarization in normal and phenotype positive long QT syndrome fetuses to identify additional parameters of repolarization that could be used to improve the accuracy of using fetal magnetocardiography for the diagnosis of LQTS. The study cohort was derived from a group of 39 fetuses at gestational age 20 to 37 weeks, all with gene-positive LQTS. Most of the fetuses had tested positive for LQT1, 2, or 3. The repolarization anomalies that were the focus of this study included late peaking T waves, QRST discordance, and two component T waves. The authors identified that late peaking T-waves were strongly associated with LQTS present in 95% of the fetuses that had LQT. No normal fetuses showed both QTC prolongation, defined as a QTC greater than 500 milliseconds, and a late peaking T-wave. U-waves were present in 11 normal fetuses, or 8%, and could be difficult to distinguish from two-component T waves. However, in the gene-positive long QT fetuses, the polarity of the two components were of opposite polarity. The key findings from this study included first that a late-peaking T wave in association with QTC prolongation is a distinctive and reliable indicator of fetal long QT syndrome. Second, the authors noted that while U waves are seen in about 10% of normal fetuses, opposite polarity of the double peaking T waves was associated with long QT. And then finally, that QRST discordance is strongly associated with fetal long QT syndrome, but is also common in normal fetuses. The authors suggest that the results of this study can help to improve the predictive value of fetal magnetocardiography for diagnosis of fetal long QT syndrome and help resolve ambiguities caused by U-waves. Next up is a study titled Inhibition of Voltage-Gated Sodium Currents by Eleclosine in Rat, Atrial and Ventricular Myocytes by authors Cave and colleagues from the School of Physiology, Cambridge, the United Kingdom. The purpose of this study was to investigate atrial ventricular differences in the biophysical properties by the drug eleclozine on voltage-gated sodium currents. This is an investigational drug that has similar properties to renolazine. Eleclazine shows both use and voltage-dependent properties, blocking the rapid inward sodium current as well as the late sodium channel. Using a RAT model, the fast and late components of whole-cell voltage-gated sodium currents were recorded at room temperature from isolated atrial and ventricular myocytes. The key findings were that, first, differences exist between RAT atrial and ventricular myocytes in the voltage dependence of activation and inactivation of the fast sodium current. Second, eleclozine blocks the rapid inward sodium channel in a use-dependent manner consistent with preferential association with activated states of the channel in both atrial and ventricular myocytes. Third, eleclozine shows unusually rapid dissociation from the sodium channel in both atrial and ventricular myocytes. These findings show an atrial-selective instantaneous inhibition of the rapid inward sodium channel by eleclozine and warrants further investigation as an atrial-selective antiarrhythmic drug. The final original paper in the august issue is entitled acupuncture at the auricular branch of the vagus nerve enhances heart rate variability in humans an exploratory study authored by beamer and colleagues from several medical centers in germany this is a study that evaluated the effects of acupuncture of the auricular branch of the vagus nerve compared to acupuncture performed at separate traditional chinese acupuncture sites And, in addition, the authors performed heart rate variability measurements as a non-acupuncture test control. The study population included 24 healthy males. The authors found that in comparison to the placebo acupuncture, which was the alternate site, acupuncture at the auricular branch of the vagus nerve was associated with a significant reduction in the heart rate by about 4 to 6 percent and an improvement in heart rate variability, although no significant difference was observed for changes in the power spectral density parameters. Overall, the authors concluded that the findings may support the hypothesis that acupuncture of the vagus nerve may favorably alter parasympathetic tone. These results were obtained in healthy young men, and therefore results may differ in other populations, but could have antiarrhythmic effects. Well, that completes the summary of original articles. However, in addition, we have several other featured articles. This includes an editorial by Dr. Mary Gleva from Washington University in St. Louis, Missouri, who discusses practicing electrophysiology in the era of COVID-19. We also have a review paper by Sunil Sinha from the John Hopkins University in Baltimore, Maryland, which addresses the management of cardiac implantable electronic devices during a healthcare crisis. And finally, we have a Perspectives in Contrast set of articles that present the pro and the con perspectives for the use of a wearable cardioverter defibrillator. Providing the pro perspective is Dr. Byron Lee from the University of California, San Francisco. And the con perspective is written by Drs. Adye Bhatt and Sunit Mittal from Valley Health System in New Jersey. I invite you all to enjoy the articles of this August issue, and thank you for listening today.